You know, God's doing uh, something really profound in this place. Some, sometimes you get so familiar that, you're, uh, that you become unaware of what God's doing. I mean, at least it happens in our house where somebody is standing right next to you uh, that is full of the Holy Spirit, and, um, and you, you don't even know it. Um, you know, in, um, I think it's uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about communion, and it talks about how... Um, you can't, when you take communion, you have to make sure that you judge the body rightly. Or you could actually, some are sick, some, um, and some have even died because they misjudged the body. And I used to think that meant that um, God brings some kind of judgment because you are judging the body wrongly or you think bad about your brother. But I actually realized that the context is that there are people that have a need, like they're sick, and they're asking God for help, but because they don't know the body after the spirit, they only know them after the flesh, they don't have confidence that Jesus is in the person standing next to them. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know that Jesus could do very few miracles in his hometown? Like, the guy that created the world actually was limited by the faith of the people. And what I'm getting at is that in communion, he's, he talks about, Paul talks about the fact that some are sick and some have even died because they misjudged the body, meaning that the God sent Joe to heal them, but because they had faith in God but didn't have faith in Joe, that they actually didn't receive the healing that God sent to them. And uh, so, so, so one of the things that is, is, I think, profoundly powerful is that when we, we actually get the eyes of God and we actually know people after the Spirit, when... Samuel, was uh, the prophet, was sent to Jesse's house to find a king. He gets to Jesse's house, and he sees Elib, who's head and shoulders taller than everybody, and he assumes that Elib should be the king. He looks like a king. And when he went to anoint him, God said to Samuel, Samuel, you're looking with the eyes of man. In other words, you're not knowing people after the spirit, Samuel. You're knowing them after the flesh. And you know 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. That's a powerful verse. But the, the most powerful part of that verse for me right now is the previous verse. It says, we know each other no longer after the flesh, although we knew Christ once this way. We know him this way no longer. Next verse, if any man be in Christ. And the connotation is that the Lord wants to give us the gift of distinguishing of spirits so we can actually know each other after the spirit and we can actually relate to each other future present instead of past present. Are you with me? And um, so when, when Samuel goes to Jesse's house and it goes to anoint a king, and he sees Elib, he wants to anoint Elib. And God goes, no, Elib's not the king. And so Samuel, um, Jesse marches seven of his sons in front of him, and Samuel doesn't find a king. And you can imagine, he's confused. He's like, is this all your sons? Because I'm sure it was this house I'm supposed to anoint. And he goes, oh, we got one more guy. <laughs> he's out with the sheep. And so he says, well, call him in. And he calls him in, and when he sees David coming, it says that he was ruddy and redheaded. And let me put it, make it really clear. He didn't look like a king. And God goes, there's the king. And often there are kings and queens among us that because we're so familiar with them, we actually don't understand the level 
of calling and anointing on their life. And I, I um, was sharing this week in private um, with Robert and Stephanie that Stephanie has a call as a prophetess to this house. And I said to Robert, I believe we're supposed to commission her. So this morning, we're going to do something that I think has epic, I think it has epic potential in this church and in this movement to have another prophetess anointed in this house. And so, Stephanie, would you come up and some of the leaders come? Kendall, where are you? Yes. Come up. And we're going to just, we're just going to commission her. And um, I, I want to read you a passage. When, when Joshua, when Moses was um, about to die, he said to God, please don't leave me without a successor. And so the Lord says to him, so the Lord said, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him and have him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and before the congregation and commission him in their sight. And you shall give him some of your authority in order that the congregation of the sons of Israel shall obey him. And then it goes on to say that you shall tell Eliezer to bring the Urim and to lay his hands on them. And um, it's interesting because the word authority, you shall give him some of your authority, that word's only um, translated authority one time in the entire Bible. Everywhere else, it's translated splendor and glory. And I believe that when we commission people, the splendor and glory falls on them and people want to follow them because they can see the beauty of the Lord in them. And so we're going to commission Stephanie. <laughs> I almost called you something else. It's like, Stephanie, yes, your name is Stephanie. And we're going to pour this oil on your head. No, we're not. Just going to put a little dab of do you, I think. <laughs> Would you guys stand and just extend your hands to her? How many of you are excited for this? Yeah. So, Lord, we commission Stephanie in Jesus' name that she would, she would be a prophetess to this congregation and to this movement. Lord, that you would begin to visit her with wonders and signs and miracles and that she would be a, a builder of a nest where eagles and eaglets would come and be mentored, be equipped, be trained, and be sent to the nations. And we pray that this would be a hub where eagles fly in and out to be prepared, to be um, even reproved, to be re-equipped, to be encouraged, and to be sent back out. <laughs> I just see, this is a crazy metaphor, but I see like ships, warships coming in, and they're, they need to be fixed and repaired and, and, and rearmed. And, uh, and then I see this place as a place that builds these fellow ships. These fellow ships are being built here, and they're being repaired here. Did you get that, fellow ships? I thought that was pretty profound, actually. And so we bless this in you, Stephanie, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, so be it. So be it. That's a good word right there. I bless you. That's a good word, actually, right there. Well, this is going to be a miracle service because I'm going to do a bunch of stuff in a short amount of time. <laughs> and if I get through it, it'll be a miracle. Um, I wanted to uh, today talk about having faith in God. And um, 
how many know you're called believers? So it sort of means that you're here because you believe. We're not called factors. We're called believers. And, you know, one of the, the greatest side effects of COVID season, in my mind, isn't the loss of smell or the lingering, lingering fatigue that some have experienced, but it's a continued decline of faith. Some, the, you know, I, I see people um, coming out of this COVID season kind of washed up on the shore of disillusion and faithlessness. And um, we stopped, some of us have stopped following the way and instead started going our own way. And our churches used to be full of people hungry for fellowship. And as you probably know, um, globally, uh, globally, our churches are half full and people have not recovered from the faithlessness of COVID. And what I'm getting at is sometimes we recover from the disease, but we almost have this like PTSD. We, we, we maybe make these silent claims in our heart, like I'll never believe like that again. And I believe that what I'm supposed to do over the next weeks in our movement is to begin to inspire people to rise in faith again. So I want to talk a little bit about faith, and then I want to pray for a few people. But Paul said to Timothy, this is uh, 1 Timothy 1.18. I'm going to give you quite a few verses. Some of them I'll just quote for the sake of time, because we have exactly um, uh, 35 minutes. And this is a three-hour message. But just let me be clear, all my messages are three-hour messages. So Paul wrote to Timothy, this I command and entrust you, Timothy, in accordance with the prophecies, everybody say prophecies, previously made concerning you. And help me finish this. That by them you would fight the good fight, keeping the faith. And I'll, I'll read the rest of it. And a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in guard to their faith. So I want to point out that faith is a fight. It's a fight. When, you, when someone comes to you for prayer and they, are, they have terminal cancer and you're like, oh man, I don't know if this is going to happen. That, you've just entered the fight. And one of the weapons of warfare that you have, well, let me just quote two of them for the sake of time together, is testimony, what has God done, and prophecy, what has God said he'd do. Are you with me? I mean, in the middle of the COVID season, I'm sure that everybody had some challenges. It was very challenging for me for obvious reasons. You know, we have a church of 11,000 people. We have a school at 2,600 at the time. And, you know, all of that was going on. And then we had the social justice issues with several of our staff. 37 of our staff were black and going through. Some of them couldn't even leave their homes because they had PTSD so badly. And we had all of that going. And in the midst of that... Uh, Benny Johnson, our, our matriarch of our movement, Bill Johnson's wife, came up with four-stage cancer. And then our senior pastors of our church, actually that happened first, our senior pastors of our church gave us notice they were planting a church after 10 years. And that all they, the day they left was the day that Benny got, Benny, their, their mother, actually got, got uh, diagnosed with cancer. And so, um, and that's just a few things that happened. <laughs> And that all happened, that whole thing happened within about a nine-month period. And, you know, and I don't, you know, and here, and so, of course, my senior leader is now out taking care of his wife. The senior leaders of our church are gone. 
Um, they took a bunch of people with them because we obviously sent them out. We're excited for them, but we have this problem and challenge. And all of a sudden, we have no meetings because we, we, uh, you know, we, we shut down our church. We're online. A thousand of our students um, couldn't get into the, the country. And so, you know, that equals about a, a $10 million loss. And we're trying to navigate the finances. 800 people on our staff. People can't come to church. Everybody's angry with everybody. You kind of figure this out, right? And I can't hardly get out of bed. And I got COVID for six weeks. Yeah, it was just a lot of fun. I did a wedding in the middle of the COVID season. We did it at my farm, like 30 miles from Reading, but somebody took pictures of it, and I was in the newspaper five times in seven days. Yes, I'm going to be in the movies. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's for the wrong reason. And it was tough. And, and the Lord, in the middle of, I was nine days in bed with COVID, and uh, on day eight, the Lord said, I need you to get out of this bed and lead my people. And I'm like, well, right now, I just need to get out of the bed. <laughs> and the 10th day, I mean, the ninth day, he said, I need you to get out of this bed and lead my people. And I'm like, Lord, right now I'm having a hard time getting to the toilet, much less leading your people. And on the 10th day, I did my grandson's wedding, pretty weak. But I was like, Lord, how am I going to navigate this season? I, I'm having a hard time getting out of bed. And the Lord said, I want you to write down every morning three things you're thankful for. I have to be honest, the first few, the first few times, the first day, it took me 15 minutes to think of one thing I was thankful for. Listen, I'm a guy that's got a lot of great stuff going on. But I had to think about what God did for me, the testimony. What did God do? And as I began to do that, every morning it got easier because partly I'm reading what I was thankful for yesterday, and I'm doing that three times. Three, have to write down three things, and so pretty soon I've got, you know, I got nine things, and I got 12 things, and I got 15 things. You, know, you get the idea. And so in the morning, I'm reading the things I was thankful for over the last week, and I'm thinking of three more. It's not so hard, right? Because I'm changing my mindset. Are you with me at all? And then the Lord's like, okay, I want, you to I want you to remind yourself of the prophecies that I previously spoke over you and over Bethel and over the, your friends. And I start taking these prophecies and these testimonies, the things I'm thankful for he's already done and the things that I, he said he's going to do. And I started living future present. Okay, and pretty soon faith is rising because I'm in the fight of faith. Are you with me? I'm in the fight of faith. I'm remembering what he did, and I'm remembering what he said he's going to do, and now I can get out of bed and begin to lead this congregation because I'm called to fight the fight of faith. Are you with me? In, um, in 1 Timothy 6.12, this is the same letter to Timothy, he writes, fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life. In Romans chapter 1, I'm giving you lots of scripture. Sorry to go so fast. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says, the righteous, in, for in the righteousness of God is revealed, I'm sorry, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by, help me, faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And so I, I, um, I woke up the other morning, this is probably um, hmm, three months old, and the Lord said to me, I want you to do the deeds you did it first. I want you to do the deeds you did it first. And I'm like, all right, what's the deeds we did it first? You know, we were radicals when we got saved. <laughs> I mean, we were so radical that 
we didn't let anyone wrap Christmas gifts with Santa Claus on them for our children. I mean, this gives you, just to let you know, like our children are probably still a little PTSD because their parents are so, you know, now we, now, now we celebrate St. Nick, you know, and we used to shoot the Easter bunny and now we're, now my wife hides eggs for the grandkids, you know what I'm saying? So, but I want you to do the deeds, you did it first. And, and so I just begin to remember, like I remember uh, we were in business and I remember I was laying on the floor, we had an auto repair business, we actually had three auto repair shops and the Lord said, I want you to start a parts house. I'm like, all right, I'm going to give you the very short version because this is a good 20-minute story. And the Lord said, I want you to start an auto parts house. I'm like, all right, all I need is money. And the Lord's like, no, you just need to trust me. I'm like, trust you for money. And the Lord said, no. I said, okay, well, how am I going to start a parts house? And the Lord said, well, I want you to hire two parts men. Okay, I don't have any parts. He said, I said, who do you want me to hire? He said, I want you to buy uniforms. I'm going to give you the sizes. And then I want you to hire two men that fit the size of this uniforms. I'm like, is there, the three of you talked about this? Like, seriously? Like, I don't want to tell anybody, like, what's your strategy? Well, I'm buying uniforms. You can imagine what the uniform guy thought when I didn't have names to put on the uniforms. So I bought uniforms, the size, the Lord told me. And then the Lord's like, okay, you're going to interview everybody that comes for the interview for the job. I want you to hire the guys that fit in these uniforms. So I had to ask the guys, like, what size do you wear? <laughs> it's part of the uniform of the interview. It was so crazy. I hired those guys. So I bought, I bought uniforms, hired two guys that fit the uniforms. I'm like, okay, Lord, I need a, I need a building. So I went and got this crappy building. It was like 200 bucks a month because I had, and the Lord's like, I don't want to be in there. <laughs> I said, that's, that's a crappy building. I'm not being in there. So anyway, so I finally find a nice building, which I know that it's like one of the fathers of our city own this building. He's not a believer. So I go see him. And, and the Lord, I said, Lord, I have no money. He goes, just tell him you want it for free. I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go. I sit down with the guy. I tell him my vision. I get him all inspired. I get him pregnant with my vision. And he's, you know, he's, he's like, well, that's a great vision. I said, yeah. So he goes, I'd love to have you in there. I go, oh, I just have one problem. I don't have any money. He looks at me and he goes, Chris, you are effing crazy. Anyway, I walk out of there with a free building for the first year. <laughs> then I need auto parts. I'm like, okay, Lord, I need $100,000 worth of auto parts. I do some research, find out there's a warehouse in Reading, a little ways from us. And the Lord's like, okay, go down there and... Share your vision with him and tell him you need auto parts. And I said, oh, no, this is not going to be good. And he goes, take your, take your father-in-law's gold watch that he gave you with him and tell him you'll give him that for, you know, for equity. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. So I go down there. I meet with this guy. His name is Brett. He's a big, really heavy guy. He's using the F word every other sentence. And I share with him what I'm doing and... He's all excited about it, and he's like, yes, let's do this. And I go, okay, the only thing is I have no money. And, he, and I said, but I got a gold watch. And he goes, what the F am I going to do with that? What's that watch worth? I said, I don't know, five grand. He goes, and you want 100000 He goes, get out of my warehouse. Oh, gosh. So I leave the warehouse. You know how you feel just so stupid after you trusted God and it didn't work? And I tell God, that was the stupidest idea I've ever heard. I'm so embarrassed that I believed you for this. Three days later, the guy calls. 
He says, I want to come up and see what you're doing. He comes up. He looks at the building. He sees it. And he's, so, he's a really pessimistic guy. I've known him. I know, you know, I, I did business with him later for years. And he looks around at my, my, my shops. And then we take him to the parts house where it's just an empty building that we just painted. And, and he goes, where's the effing shelving? I said, well, I don't have that yet either. Well, where's the counters? I don't have that yet either. He goes, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the parts, and I'll give you the shelving for free, and I'll give you, and I ended up starting my parts house with that. <laughs> I gave him my watch, <laughs> and three years later, I got it back when I paid off all the parts. But my point is, <laughs> my point is that God is calling us to live outside of the realm. He wants us to live outside of the realm of the natural, right? He wants us to live beyond our means. Are you with me? And so, this is a good word. <laughs> In uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said, um, he, this, these blind men are in, come to Jesus, and he says to the blind men, do you believe that I can do this? And they said, yes, Lord. Then he touched them, and he said to them, it shall be according to your faith. It shall be according to your faith. And what I'm getting at is that faith creates alternative realities. In this case, faith creates alternative reality that the blind man can see. Are you with me? Yes, Chris, we're with you. Faith creates alternative realities. I ask these questions. What if the primary component to your destiny isn't education, skill, experience, capability, or even calling, but what if instead, what if it's faith? What if you're spending, what if we are spending our lives waiting for the ultimate opportunity, but God is waiting for us to believe what he already said about us? Here we go. Here's the last one. What if your faith is responsible for your current reality and your daily life unfolds in the visible realm according to the invisible expectations of your heart? I'm saying, what if the place you're at right now is actually according to your faith? I mean, if it sucks, think about it. It may be that you're like, I, I need an education, I need this, I need, well, when this happens, and God's like, no, what I'm waiting to happen is for you to actually believe me. You know, I don't like when we say to someone who's sick, you know, well, if you had faith, you wouldn't be sick. You know, we tried that. It just shames people. But what if you had faith and you got well? My wife has Parkinson's. She's had it for a long time. She's doing really good, by the way. She rides horses. She killed a bear last year, this, this year, with a bow. Actually, the arrow went through one bear and killed it and stuck in another one, one arrow. She's a bad woman. Someone breaks into our house, I wake her up, I'm like, go check that out, I'll call the cops. <laughs> she rides horses, she, she hunts, she fishes. She's got a bass goat. People are like, you like to fish? No. You like to hunt? No. I like to watch TV. But anyway, <laughs> but you know... If someone says, well, she's sick because she doesn't have enough faith, hey, hey, you're going to run into me. Like, that's, that's not cool. But think about it another way. What if you thought, if my faith could rise for my wife, and some morning I wake up with a gift of faith, and I lay hands on her, and she gets healed? I'm saying, what if the, our reality is a lack of my faith, not in a shame way, but in a way that creates hope? that I could wake one day and there could be a medical breakthrough 
as, as I was thinking of a medical breakthrough, what if I had a faith breakthrough? Are you with me? That's a good word. Okay. How are we doing for time? I'm watching the clock. In Mark eleven twenty, Jesus said they were passing by in the morning and they saw a fig tree that Jesus had cursed the day before and it was withered. And Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered saying, have faith in God. Then he, then he said this, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, I want you to do this, say, says to this mountain, I'll give you the rest. Be taken up and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen. It will be granted to him. Therefore, I say to you, all things which you pray and ask, believe that you receive them and they shall be granted to you. I want to point out that faith is voice activated. Faith is voice activated. Jesus said, anyone who says to this mountain. Now, we have an Alexa. You guys have Alexa? Some people are like, we don't have Alexa because we believe the government's going to be listening in on our conversations. Like, I've been trying to get the freaking government to listen into my conversation forever. I put one in every room. I want them to know what I'm saying. Maybe they'll get saved, healed, and delivered. But we have an Alexa, and you can hook Alexa up to your thermostat, to your TV, you know, and you could, it could be, you like, turn the TV on, you know? <laughs> like, like, Americans can't get any lazier. I don't even want to get up and turn the TV on. Turn the lights on, Alexa, cook dinner. You know what I'm saying? But, it, but what's true is that faith is voice activated. What I'm getting at is, when, in, fact, in fact, here's another scripture. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, it says, I believe, therefore I spoke. I want you to say this. I believe, therefore I spoke. I'm pointing out that faith actually has to be activated by your voice. That when you see a mountain, what's a mountain? It's a challenge. It's a problem. It's a, it's a, it's a promise. And God says, hey, you're going to have such and such. You're going to have a child, and you haven't had a child. What do I do? Well, I think about the testimonies, right? I think about the prophecies. What am I doing? I'm building faith, right? And then I begin to speak to it. Now, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about speak to it like your doctor or, I'm talking about going in your prayer closet. I used to think it was a closet when I got saved and I actually put, took all the clothes out of my closet because I read it anyway, long story, I'm sure. But I'm talking about in the privacy of your own home. You're not trying to inspire the person, you're trying to inspire the angels who carry out his word. And you begin to say, my wife shall be pregnant. I began to impregnate the cosmos with the prophetic declarations, the seeds of hope. Are you with me? What happens if I'm going through a crisis is that I, of faith, is that I step out of doubt, I step into faith, I remind myself of what God did, I remind myself of what he said he's going to do, and then I begin to take the prophecies that were previously spoken over me, and I speak them into the atmosphere. <laughs> Good point, Chris. Last point that I'm going to make, that I have time to make, and that is, James says in chapter 2, verse 14, what use is it, my brethren, if you say you have faith but have no works? And he goes on to say that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness when he offered Isaac up on the altar. The point is this. This is my last point on, the, on faith, is that faith is voice activated 
but it's catalyzed by works. I used to work with resin. If anyone's ever worked with resin, the first time I went to the store to get the resin, and I got a gallon of resin, and I read that I had to have a catalyst. So I said to the guy behind the counter, I need a catalyst for the resin, and he gave me a little two-ounce bottle of resin. I said, no, no, I have a gallon of resin. He said, yeah, just a couple of drops will catalyze the gallon. And, I, and uh, you know, when you, when you first start, you're kind of experimenting. But, you know, if you, put, if you put too much in, the resin will get hot and crack. If you put too little in, it'll stay gooey. Like, have you ever sat at a restaurant table where it's sticky even after they wash it? It's because they put a resin top on it, and they didn't put enough hardener. And what I'm getting at is that you need faith. That's the resin, right? You need, you need faith. But works, that is the catalyst. You just need a couple drops in there. You just need a couple drops in there. But without it, you just have goo. Right? When the Lord said to me, hey, you're going to start a parts house, how many understand? He gave me things to do. It, it, they didn't seem related to the parts house. Like, get uniforms. It, it, it's, I'm saying, God is making it happen, but he expects me to be co-laboring with him by stepping in to works. There's something I always have to do. If I'm, my son is wayward, and I haven't seen him in three years, and God goes, he's coming home, Malachi 4, the sons and fathers are reuniting. You're like, okay, what do I do? I remember the testimonies. I remember the prophecies, right? I begin in my prayer closet to go, Johnny, you're coming home. The Lord says, you're coming home. And I begin to speak into the atmosphere and impregnate the atmosphere so the angels know what their duties are. I don't want unemployed angels with me. I want my angels to be employed. Employ the angels. Are you with me? But then maybe I prepare, prepare his best meal, his favorite meal, and maybe I put it in the freezer. Maybe I paint his room. Maybe you get the idea. I'm saying it's catalyzed through works. I do something to agree with the prophetic word. We say physical obedience brings spiritual release. Are you with me? Some of you are discouraged. You've been through COVID. You're like, I'll never believe like that again. I'll never be disappointed. First of all, you need to break that curse off you in Jesus' name. And secondly, you need to begin to catalyze faith. Begin to speak into it. Take your testimonies and prophecies and begin to be, because how many know you're called believers and it's encumbered on believers to live by faith. This is what we do. We live by faith. And faith creates alternative realities. Are you following me? That's a good word. I, I want to minister to a couple of people. I have nine minutes left. 